Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Avedisian, the Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Ani Mad Shaman Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three part spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism, give it all a good hard shake and pour, dress it with the olives of grace and empathy, sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo. In today's, the puppet administration does not occupy the White House, yet mainstream media is as quiet as a mouse. From Seattle to Duluth, people are still frightened of the truth. Oh my God, America, once the land of the free, the home of the brave, is rapidly declining into a herd of sheep ruled over by perverts and knaves. It's all phantasmagorical, almost too bizarre to be chronicled, comical, sad little world. As always, my darlings, we try to do this with as much grace and empathy as can be mustered on any given day. And as always, we are not always successful, I'll admit to that, but we are honor bound to give it our best shot. And on this show, the Metaphysical Martini Show, we do love shots, yes we do. In fact, let me take a sip of today's carefully selected libation. Hold on there, darlings, don't go away. Ooh, ooh, that is, ooh, that is hotter and spicier than I thought it would be, but I have to say not bad, not bad at all. Mm. Wow, more about that later. Well, everyone, if you are joining us for the first time, be advised we don't do politically correct on this show so as not to erode our intellect. And we don't sugarcoat anything because clearly, my darlings, as we look at the rapidly rising levels of imbecility all around us, Sugarcoating issues is a criminal waste of sugar. In today's world, the dark establishment would have us believe that black is white, that pink is the new orange, that critical thinking damages the intellect, and that four-year-old rugrats are clear-headed and experienced enough to choose their gender and mutilate their genitals. Oh my God, human race, what have you done? Instead of feeding your soul and bringing the glory of the cosmos onto this realm, you gave away your power to a slobbering beast called government. And you fed that beast day in, day out, by allowing it to dictate to you how you should live your life. Instead of being gods in bods, because that is what we are, you allowed yourself to be cattle, in a globalist custody battle. Shame on you, you clueless idiot, O human race. 
How many people out there, hands up, be honest, are still stuck in partisan politics? Come on, hands up. Mm. Far too many. Take your heads out of your asses, people. The deep state, the dark establishment, the Illuminati, it controls the donkey and the elephant. The war we are fighting is not red versus blue, it is tyranny versus freedom. Light versus dark. Goodness versus evil. Why people cannot see through this blatant hoax is beyond me. In the beginning, you know, when it all started, I can see how after years of relentless perceptual engineering, GMO foods, chemtrails, toxic drinking water, advertising campaigns designed to turn us into mindless morons, I can see how all that led to laziness of the mind and how some peeps, you know, those not engaged in humanity but obsessed only with themselves, I can see how some peeps could have fallen for it. But now, after all that is being exposed daily, after all the people suffering horrendous adverse effects, dropping dead no less, after all the immoral illegal censorship and repeated attempts to have us comply with and engage in humiliating mask-wearing rituals, all hail Lucifer, after witnessing police officers throw elderly women to the ground and mace them, if you can't see it now, where exactly is your focus? I'll hazard a guess, but I won't, because I think I've made my point. You know, my darlings, how all this plays out, it depends on how we play each day. If all you do is stay home and wail and moan and wait for some white hat army to come along and save your ass, well, that's hardly a contribution to the betterment of mankind, is it? Now, you don't have to be a hero. You don't have to be one of these superheroes on television. You don't have to be the last lone ancient Briton standing on a bridge with a buckler and a short sword, holding the line against an entire platoon of invading Vikings or, or Romans. No, you can leave that stuff with the people who are trained and willing to engage in such heroics. Imagine how different our world would be if millions of people, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, decided to live by their principles. No fear, no tears, honor, integrity, guts, grit. Now more than ever, it is the time to examine what it means to each and every one of us to live a principled life. Hiding behind a rock in your mind prison, waiting to be saved, that is not the action of a free thinker. That is self-induced mental slavery. A little courage goes a long way in today's world, and you will be surprised at how quickly others will take courage from your actions. Here's an example. Part of a book I'm writing, The Betterment of Mankind, Stating the Obvious, over and over again, 101. Now, I, Ani, Matt Charman, Avidician, know beyond all shadow of doubt 
that mask mandates have nothing to do with health because they are in fact designed to humiliate people and mold them into subservient brainless automatons willing to do anything for the privilege of going about their daily business. I resent it deeply and I will not play their game. So I do not wear a mask ever under any circumstances. I shop without one. I go to the post office, a federal building without one. I go to the bathroom without one. And if I'm challenged and asked to wear one, I make it clear courteously to the mind-controlled minions of that establishment that their actions are undermining American values. You remember that stuff? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness? And I follow all that up with a loud but articulate rant on their contribution to fascism. And I remind them how supporters of fascism were treated after World War II. And I assure them that I will remember their names. And I will, you see, because I take down their names. I take down the names of every single person who infringed my rights. And I tell these people, I will not rest until they are held accountable for their actions. Okay, some may say, Arnie, what a twit you are. What a waste of time. They're just kids trying to keep their jobs in difficult times. Give them a break. My response to that is, go engage in fornication under the command of your king. If we all keep quiet because we don't want to lose our jobs, we will lose everything. We will lose our self-respect, our sanity, our country, our values, our planet, our precious sovereignty. I have friends. Well, I don't really have too many now, but I did have friends. And some of those friends moved to Canada when Daddy T became president. They did this because, well, basically they're idiots, but they did this because Satan stream media convinced them that he, Daddy T, was going to destroy America and turn it into a police state. Well, I bet you guys are happy now. Pretty boy Trudeau is excluding from the social body everyone refusing the death jab. He will cut off your government benefits too, and he will see you starve and die unless you bend the knee and feed the beast. Don't say I didn't warn you. Don't say I didn't tell you what it was all about over and over again for years. Well, back to my mask thing. As I walk around, feeling also wonderful and self-righteous without my mask, wearing a Stars and Stripes lapel pin or one of my carefully chosen sweatshirts with sayings on them such as Raise Lions, Not Sheep, America the Beautiful, 1776, Don't Tread on Me, Come and Take It, and my new favorite, Let's Go Brandon, you know, that sort of thing. People look at me, they smile, and many take off their masks. Other unmasked people come up to me and give me little fist bumps. I've made many new friends. The other day, a very large trucker tried to pick me up. Hmm. So your courage, <laughs> your courage, and let me be clear on this, walking around without a mask is the least of all acts courageous. 
It does not compare, for example, with standing up to an armed, uniformed thug as that person interrogates your neighbors, deemed undesirable by the state, whether they be Jewish or Bosnian or whatever, and drag them out of their homes and throw them into police vans, never to be seen again. You know, a scenario that has played out countless times in mankind's history. How feeble-minded are we to think of going maskless as an act of courage? It's a small thing. But if the mask mandate seems immoral to you, then take a stand for heaven's sake and do this one thing, this one small act of defiance. You see, one becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight, eight becomes 16, 16 becomes 32. 32 becomes 64, 64 becomes 128, 128 becomes 256, 256 becomes 512, 512 becomes 1024, and I probably need a calculator to figure out the rest, but you get my meaning. People are waiting there for courage, and it won't take much because they're fed up. So darlings, do you have like-minded friends? Go shopping together. The more, the merrier. If every community put aside an hour or two each week and went shopping in groups of, say, 10 or more, it would shift consciousness. And those places that won't allow you in without the face diaper of death, the sign of your allegiance to your Lord and Master Lucifer, withdraw your custom from them, but do so forever. You know the flip side of this hoax rubbish for me? is that for the first time in my recorded history, I actually have a savings account. I withdrew my custom from so many businesses, I had to rethink how I lived my life. And I must say, I mean this, I am much happier picking my own apples and visiting pop-up produce stands on the side of the road, carpooling and driving a few extra miles to purchase goods from shopkeepers who welcome my lovely, maskless, smiling face and also have no problem accepting my sweet, warm cash. So I'll close out this segment with a quote. And it's one of my favorite quotes from a chap called Anselm Belagarigue, which is a beautiful name, but a pain in the ass if you're not French. And here's the quote. Up to now, you have believed in the existence of tyrants. Well, mon ami, you were mistaken. There are only slaves. Where none obeys, none commands. Revolution by non-compliance. Revolution by civil disobedience. If you don't want what they offer, they have no power over you. And that, my darlings, is when the dark establishment will collapse under the weight of its own dysfunction. And on that day, I will open a very expensive bottle of champagne. All right, then, Annie, that's all very well. How does one live a principled life? Hmm. Well, let's start at the very beginning. We start by defining our core values, our principles. We then apply these core values purposefully, conscientiously to every decision we make in our lives and, of course, to every interaction. In my world, this begins with knowing the truth of my being, 
the cosmic divine nature of my soul. That knowledge leads me to respect the individuality that is my mortal personality. If I respect the dignity of my being, it follows that I will respect the dignity of others. I will always try to conduct myself in a way that is worthy of respect, regardless of how my actions are received, because I have no control over that. I made a decision to focus on my character and not on my reputation. Whether I am liked or not is of no consequence to my life path and will not provide a distraction from my life's mission. You love me? Fantastic. You don't? Fantastic. Knowing my true nature helps me to find the values by which I wish to live my life. Knowing I am unlimited, soul, brilliant, energy of divine leads me to the awareness that in my mortal form there will be challenges there will be perceived human limitations so one of my core values is to not set unrealistic expectations spending time each day prayerfully contemplating my true nature overrides any attempt from my ego to engage in fear and its secondary emotions, such as anxiety, prolonged anger, lack of motivation. I process those emotions and take my thoughts to a more enriching, expansive vibration, something that will be closer to the life I wish to create for myself. Another core value of mine, which, you know, this takes time to learn, it's to travel light, to make peace with the past. I keep my baggage to a minimum, so if something exciting comes along, I can deploy at a moment's notice. And this makes mindfulness easy, because the past is done, all wounds are healed, and the magic of the present moment can be revealed. Another part of that, for me, is choosing not to interact with those who have no interest in the betterment of mankind. I wish to keep my focus on my life path, and I choose my companions carefully. That way, we can be of service to each other and together contribute to the expansion of consciousness on Earth. And this includes not engaging with angry idiots on social media. People just post your stuff and just leave it alone. Another core value of mine is to regularly review my daily personal habits. And this is because wherever we find ourselves in life is a direct result of our daily personal habits, mental and physical. And once we've discovered our purpose in life, we should be wary of anything that distracts us from it. I value common sense. I value common decency. I value common courtesy. I prayerfully contemplate the benefits of acceptance, non-attachment, non-judgment. I prayerfully contemplate letting go and letting God. That's what we call detachment from outcome. It's not easy to master, but with practice, one becomes competent. I take responsibility for my life 
from my thoughts, my perceptions, my actions, and my dysfunctions. I could sum up by saying my core value is to thine own self be true. And that, I am sure, as with all things, is open to interpretation. But to me, it means this. In alignment with the divine, I have access to cosmic knowledge. I follow my God-given intuition, and in all things, I strive to conduct myself with honor and with integrity for the evolution of my soul, for the betterment of the human race, and for the expansion of cosmic consciousness. I do not claim to have mastered the art of living according to my principles 24-7. Today, with officials in positions of trust having taken money from the dark side, actively subjugating, torturing, murdering people, not just locally but globally, the most difficult principle I find to live by is do as you would be done by. But I am so much better at it today than I was yesterday, and tomorrow, by the grace of God, it will be even better. Okay, now I have pontificated on principles. I'm going to take a sip of this very interesting libation. Okay, confession time. That was two sips, but whatever. <clears throat> Let's move on to quack, my darlings. Quack, questions, answers, and comments. It's the reason we started this show to give you, the people, the opportunity to share the contents of your magnificent minds with the world. If you would like to share, please send me an email, arnie at arnieavidician.com or snail mail to Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, USA. And let me know if and how you wish to be identified, or I will refer to you as Omit Personal details. Alrighty, let's shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity and let's see what pops out. Shaky, shaky, shaky. All right, our first question comes from Anduin, I love that name, Anduin in Balboa, who asks, you refer often to the state. What exactly is the state? Is it the same as the deep state? Gracias, Anduin. Um, all right. The state is the coercive machinery of the government as influenced and directed by dark money. So in that, we include the large corporations, the central banks, Satan stream media, academia, which is now, you know, indoctrination, the major religions, the military industrial complex, the medical chemical industrial complex, and all the organizations who deceive, manipulate, dominate mankind for their own profit and power. That is the state. Deep state is the ideology from which the machinery stems. So I hope that clears it out for you, Anduin. All right, next question is from Omit Personal Details. Who asks? Ani. What do you say to people who insist that the thing that rhymes with Francine and masks are not about personal freedom, but about health? What do I say to them, Omit? It's not so much what I would say to them. Why would I say anything to them? 
why would I engage in conversation with people who can't tell a hoax from a sausage roll? I'm not a primary school teacher, darling. I work mainly with adults. That said, of course, if they're booking time with me, I'm honor bound to respectfully share my point of view and debate with them. So there's your answer to that. But if somebody has already made up their mind, I'm not really interested in changing it. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to help point the way, expand consciousness, and uh, make the arena a little bit more interesting and larger so that people can play in it and find wonders of the universe within it. The next question is from <clears throat> D. Bailey, who asks, Dear Arnie, after 12 years of active duty as an infantryman, our son returned to us a changed man. He is not unduly depressed or despondent. He maintains physical fitness and is generally pleasant and helpful around the home. But deep inside, something has changed. He has no love for the country he so faithfully served. He becomes more of a recluse each day. And yesterday, he told us he is going to live off-grid and off the matrix. He says society is all a lie and offers only insanity to those who choose to join it. We found several books on agorism in his, in his room. Can you offer any advice? Is this a good thing? And we don't understand exactly what he means by the matrix. We don't want him to escape from this world into something worse. Hmm. Well, uh, D, um, agorism is not to be feared, quite the contrary. Your son, 12 years in the infantry, wow. Mm. He learned some hard truths during that 12 years of active duty, and if I may say so, I doubt he has lost any love for his country. I suspect, seeing things for what they are, he has lost faith in the system he was trained to uphold. That is not the same as losing your love for your country and what your country is and what your country is supposed to represent. We mustn't confuse our country with the machinery of deep state. As for agorism, let me see if I can explain the concept without getting lost in detail. Um, the word comes from the ancient Greek term agora, which is a public open space, a market, that's used for all types of assemblies, uh, not just markets. Um, who talks about this a lot would be Samuel Konkin, American libertarian philosopher. So let me quote directly from him and see if I can get this right. The goal of agorism is the agora, the society of the open marketplace as near to the untainted, as near to untainted by theft, assault and fraud as can be humanly attained is as close to a free society as can be achieved. And a free society is the only one in which each and every one of us can satisfy his or her subjective values without crushing others' values by violence and coercion. So a libertarian would tell you it's a type of counter-economics. Counter now, living off the grid, it doesn't mean your boy is going to go off and do things in an underhanded or illegal way. I mean, your son, he is awakened. And he's seen the system for what it is. And it is an elaborate illusion 
designed to lull the masses into compliance, taking away a significant portion of their hard-earned cash before ultimately slaughtering them, and then laughing all the way to the bank because the system persuaded people to pay for their own disruption. Your son knows this. That's the matrix he wants to escape from. So he wants to build his own shelter, grow his own food. He wants to drive his car without having to pay tax on it or high insurance rates. He wants to trade his services for goods or perhaps for other services he might need. Essentially, he wants to live as a free man, away from the greedy gaze of Big Brother. He does not want to feed the beast. He wants to build a community of like-minded people and live as a sovereign being according to his moral code and his set of principles. And if he settles down to build a family, your grandchildren, he will educate his children within his community and not allow them to be indoctrinated by the almighty evil state. So D, it's not a cult. In fact, I mean, this is how we all lived before population density and before elected officials and the horror of the ever-expanding government control. I don't consider it to be escapism per se. I think you're worried. You know, you say we don't want him to escape from it, this world into something worse, out of the frying pan into the fire. I mean, initially it's escapism because you're escaping from, you know, the matrix that you know is evil. But that's all he's escaping from, state-sanctioned imprisonment. And if we look back in history, there are multiple examples of individuals and groups traveling great distances to free themselves from bondage. With mixed results, of course. But the sovereign soul, oh my darlings, it will always yearn to be free. It will always yearn to blaze its own trail and to make its own rules. So your boy spent 12 years in the infantry he knows the difference between teamwork and conformity. Trust me. And I'm familiar with his regiment, actually. I won't mention it on air. But they have seen a great deal of service overseas. And they've dealt with situations, well, that would tear an untrained person's heart to shreds. Don't worry about him. He's physically fit, a trained soldier who wants to build a better model for living. My advice, Dee? Why not ask him if you can read a few of the books you found in his room? It will take the mystery out of it for you, and I'm sure he will be delighted to know that you want to better understand his path and support him in it. So thank you for writing in, and the best of luck to your family. Let's take another question from the fishbowl, and this is from Yaroslav. I don't know why I said it in that accent. You might be fourth-generation American for all I know. Um, Yaroslav writes, Ani, that's me. I recently heard an audio recording of your cosmic conversation titled How to Survive a Zombie Apocalypse. I thought it was well done and funny in some parts. But Ani, are you being serious? Do you really believe zombies are being created from the product we are not permitted to discuss openly? I have seen some videos on it by doctors, and so much of what you say makes sense to me now. I am still mentally digesting it because it is terrifying, but I am preparing. I will say 
your other conversations are more humorous. Mm. Well, yes, Yaroslav, um, I am serious. And that's why it wasn't as humorous as most of my other cosmic conversations. It is difficult to make light of a massive, well-planned depopulation agenda. <laughs> and yes, you should prep for every eventuality to the best of your ability. But don't do it because you're afraid. Do it because it is the sensible thing to do. That subtle shift in consciousness from threat perception to I am being sensible is, in my opinion, what will preserve your sanity and ultimately your life. So thanks for that question. And uh, I thought that was a really good cosmic conversation, actually. Serious subject matter. But you know what? What's she going to do? I'm going to have a sip of this drinky poo. Mm. This is warming me up. <clears throat> All right, let's take another question or maybe two. Let's see how we go before we move on to tarot a go-go. I think we're going to do weird tidbits and cocktails. This is from Meister Hendrickson. <laughs> Sounds a bit like something from Game of Thrones, doesn't it? And Meister asks, Ani, what is the point of making peace with the past if others won't do the same? Ooh, we have a philosophy student on our hands. Meister, let me ask you this. How many bodies do you inhabit? <clears throat> Just one? <clears throat> How many personalities do you have? have just one well that's good one body one personality my advice concentrate on what is yours let others concentrate on what is theirs each being is a universe unto itself change your perception and the perception of others won't bother you as much hmm. let's take another one this is from marianne in houston texas who asks um, dear Arnie, you have struggled with weight loss for a while now, uh-oh, but you have made great strides back to fitness. I am in my late 50s and have 70 pounds to lose. Can you offer any guidance? Have you read the Eat Right for Your Blood Type diet book? Is it a hoax or something worth considering? Worth considering? Marianne, mm, I have struggled. Uh, I'm not struggling now. Marianne, the first thing to bear in mind is that weight loss of 70 pounds won't happen overnight. After all, you didn't put it on overnight, and it will probably take you a whole year or more to take it off, and also to learn how to keep it off. You have to be okay with that, because this is a long-term commitment to honor your true self, back to health. Your mindset has to be one of honoring yourself. Losing weight should be approached as a positive experience. After all, you've made a decision. You're going to move back towards vitality and vigor. You are not punishing yourself for eating too many Twinkies and Ho-Hos, which, just as an aside, are not food groups, and no human should be putting that crap in their bodies. Anyway, figure out why you put the weight on. Review your daily habits. Were you depressed? You know, that sort of thing. And address what it means for you to change those habits long term, permanently. The other thing, being in your late 50s and being significantly overweight as I am, you will need to engage in a physical exercise program. There is no way out of this. And you will have to do this for a minimum of four days a week. 
in addition to which you will need to learn basic simple stretching and flexibility exercises for the two or three days a week you are not at the gym. My advice is to call your local gym, call around. Some gyms want you to work out wearing a mask. That's bollocks. I'm never going to do that. But see if somewhere that you can uh, get to offers a special fitness program for overweight seniors. You know, that's what I did. And the extra support you get helps greatly with motivation and the positive feedback. You know, it feels good. As for the blood type diet and general nutrition, this is not my area of expertise, but what helped me most was getting a full blood workup for food sensitivity. You know, when they do that complete allergy testing panel for food. Once I got that, I eliminated everything I was reactive to, even marginally. And I went ahead and I, I've actually read that blood type book because we happen to have it at home. And it was interesting because I found that without exception, everything the blood test told me I was moderately or severely reactive to was on the do not eat list for my blood type. So you might want to do both. Now, I'm two months into my four-month program, and I've dropped a whole dress size. I have better flexibility, mobility, and overall my mood has improved. But here's what's interesting, because they, you know, they weigh you once a month. And thus far, I've only lost two pounds, but I've dropped a whole size. But my fat to meat to water ratio has changed drastically, and I expect to see some actual weight loss on my next weigh-in. Marianne, I applaud you for taking this first step. Keep in touch. Let me know how it goes. You've got to get your mindset correct. You're doing this because you love yourself, and this is a reward for that. And believe me, in today's world, we need to practice preventative medicine, get into shape, do everything we can to avoid seeing doctors and ending up in hospital because those are not safe places anymore. Well, I think that's the end of Quack. That was fun. Thanks to you all for writing in and helping mankind to expand consciousness. Hey, maybe one day we can have a call-in show where people can call in live with their questions. Who knows? Or perhaps that will be a nightmare in the mind. A nightmare in the making. We'll see. We'll see. All right. What should we do now? Oh, yes. Now it's time for... Tarot. A go, go. A little what the heck with your favorite tarot deck. And today's card is the Seven of Wands. All right. Where is my card? I know I had it out. Oh, my gosh. Don't don't tell anyone. It was a coaster for my drink, and that is just unbelievably bad. No, I didn't say that. Right. All right, the Seven of Wands. Let's take a look at that. We have, I'm using the Robin Wood deck, and we have a chap. He's up on a hill, and he's wearing a kilt, and he has a large stave, a wand, a rod, whatever you want to call it. And other people are trying to reach him with their sticks, but they can't reach him. He is in the vantage position. And it looks a lot like it's a windy day, because if I could go behind this card, he's exposing his ass. And we all know that Scotsmen don't wear anything under their kilts. So if you're going to show your ass to someone, you are definitely in the vantage point position. So this chap's holding firm. He's taking a stand. Yes, he is. Yep. He says, you know what, people? 
no matter what, I feel undaunted. Yes, I have the advantage, the superior position. Yeah. Hmm. It could mean many things, really. It could mean the career change is going to go well. It could mean that you're coping better with your boundary skills, that your inner strength, your perseverance, your determination, your sense of purpose, all of that is going well. You know, back, what we say back, back in England, keep a stiff upper lip, you know, and stare them down. That's what he's doing. He's sort of humming to himself. I can hear it. We shall overcome, even though I'm showing my bum. Yep, that's what he's singing. So something is coming to a head, I guess. And he's made his position clear. I like that. I like that a lot. Now, it's a very powerful card, actually, holding it in the upright position. Now let me turn it upside down and let me see how I feel about that. Ooh, ah, well, first things first. Now his kilt is covering his head and I can see a lot more than just his ass. Um... I don't think he's in a position of power anymore. No, he's vulnerable. He does not have the vantage point. He's actually at a disadvantage here. Yep, he doesn't feel assertive at all. He's exposing all his bits, so there's quite a bit of embarrassment there. A bit of shame. Yeah, this guy's wimping out. Hmm, not taking the bull by the horns this time. Wow. So, um, this doesn't mean he can't regroup, though, and chase his dreams. This doesn't mean he shouldn't go forward with his plan. It's just that this particular confrontation is, he's not in a good position for it. So he needs to regroup. He needs to retreat and rethink things. Hmm. Yeah. And again, when you're reading cards, everything is on a scale of 1 to 10. This could just be a very honorable man who has picked the wrong battle and has to honorably retreat. But it could also be an absolute wimp. He could be somebody who's a coward. You know, somebody who's a bit of a victim. Hmm. Seven of Wands. You know, before you go to your books and go, what does this card mean? You should really take a look at the card and let it transmit information to you. All the suits mean something different. The major arcana have, have you know, they have their own stories. And you want to learn all the theories, certainly. But for me, tarot, it's about expanding consciousness. It's about creative visualization. Each one of those characters on those cards, they become your friends. The universe can talk through you, to you, through those people. If you're interested in tarot and you want to learn all the basics for not a lot of dosh, go to my website, arnie.arniavidician.com. Go to the tarot page and I have a magnificent 12-session tarot tuition. And you will enjoy it. It's fun because, of course, it's fun. It's me. We're going to have a very good laugh.
All right, Seven of Wands, putting him back, wiping him off, apologizing to him that somehow my drink found its way on his ass. Okay, what shall we do now? Aha, I have an idea. Let's do weird and wacky tidbits from the anus of history. Folks, life is more than a little challenging these days, and we could all use a good laugh. So let's see what came up on our weird meter this week. And I want to thank you all for sending these in, because as much as I would love to spend all of my time researching wackiness, the world is whacked out enough, and I don't always have time for such fanciful pursuits. So just, you know, continue to send them to me because it's so much fun getting them and reading them and the world is full of such crazy stuff that we would never get to if we didn't know. Right, so not one particular theme today, but somebody sent this in from Boston. Boston, Boston. Um, Boston experiences a deadly molasses flood. Well, apparently, my darlings, 1999, an enormous tank of molasses burst open in the north end of Boston. And it sounds funny, doesn't it? Oh, sticky molasses flood and all that. Um, but apparently it was no laughing matter. This tank contained two and a half million gallons of sticky molasses. And the tank emptied completely, and the stuff, it just flowed through the streets at approximately 35 miles per hour. A bit of a tidal wave, really. In some places, the tidal wave reached nearly 15 foot tall. And this is not funny. I don't know why I'm smirking, but... It killed 21 people. They died by sticky molasses. And 150 more people were injured. Buildings and houses were knocked from their foundations. And emergency responders had trouble reaching the victims because they had to clamber through sticky sludge. And it took Bostonians weeks to clean up the mess. And many residents claimed that in the summer heat, they could smell the sickly sweet odor of molasses even years later. And as funny as that sounds, drowning is not funny. Drowning with sticky toffee molasses stuff sticking to your life. What, what a horrible. Thank you, whoever sent this in. Ugh, I'll never eat molasses again. Uh, sticking with Boston. Um, hmm. There's a place called Boston Common, and that is a stretch of green sanctuary within the city of Boston that dates back to 1634. Well, why is that interesting? It's interesting because it's the oldest public park in the United States, and it continues to welcome residents and tourists alike. What else do we know about Boston? This is about chocolate. We love chocolate. So rejoice, all lovers of chocolate. Did you know, because I did not know, that the very first, very first chocolate factory in the United States was built in the lower mills section in the Dorchester neighborhood of Boston? And that was Baker's Chocolate. 
and the year was 1780. And I looked that up, actually, um, to see if it's still around. It was, you know, it morphed into one of those other giant corporations. And, you know, I think it's Kraft Foods owns them now. And we don't have small companies anymore. The beast just swallows them all up, makes them offers they can't refuse. Another little tidbit about Boston. Bostonians could not celebrate Christmas between 1659 and 1681. Why was that? It was against the law because the pilgrims, those puritanical pilgrims, believed it to be a corrupted holiday. We've spoken about the pilgrims and the Puritans, um, you know, many, many times. They were absolute killjoys. But that said, the Christmas holiday, it's not... It wasn't always celebrated the way we celebrate it now. There were times in history where it was an absolute free-for-all and rather dangerous to be out on the streets during that time. So I don't know, you know, maybe the Puritans went from one extreme to the other. Um, will we ever learn moderation on this planet, I wonder? I'm not sure. I do hope so. What else do we know about Boston, um, other than they talk funny? Ah! The United States' first public beach was in Boston. It was the Revere Beach, and it's now home to the International Sand Sculpting Festival. Well, there we are. I have not visited Boston. I haven't visited the original 13 states and done all of that historical American tour. I would love to do that. Um, we have to wait for all these mask mandates and all this stupidity to go away first. But I would love to tour that. Uh, so much that early American history. Just fascinating. Moving on from Boston to Henry VIII. Apparently he introduced a beard tax. And if you paid the tax, you would receive a little silver coin so you could show it to people and say, well, I have a beard, yes, but I paid the beard tax. But if you didn't have that little silver token, they made you forcibly shave it off in public. What is this ridiculous stuff that royalty and cabal people come up with all the time? They want to tax you on everything. We've run out of money, my liege. We've run out of money. We want to tax. Oh, what should we tax? What can we, let's tax beards. Oh, yes. You know, they didn't think of this, but what they should have said, because nobody would have proved this. Those old monarchs, if they were out of money, they should have said, any man who has a penis longer than eight inches will be charged, taxed, one gold sovereign for every inch above eight inches. Men love to tell people how big their penises are. And so even people with micro penises, I'm pretty sure, would pay this tax and they'd just say, my lord, it will be rude to show you my penis, but I assure you, it is 12 inches long, and here are four gold coins. Why didn't anyone think of that? Really, truly. Anyway, here's another little tidbit someone sent in um, from England. Homeowners who couldn't afford chimney sweeps would instead use a goose with its legs tied together. That is horrific. There is a saying, actually, in England, the blacker the goose, the cleaner the flu. Well, now we know where it came from. You know, um, apparently the soot from the chimneys was sold as fertilizer. And Queen Victoria, God bless her, 
ordered regular cleanings after discovering the air many people breathed in their homes was filled with fog and smoke and whatever. So she was doing everyone a favor, but she couldn't always afford the chimney sweep. So they would, how did they do this? This is so cruel. So I mean, I, the chimney sweep would tie a rope around a goose's neck, or not the chimney sweep because you couldn't afford him, but the homeowner would get a goose. Where'd you get a goose from? Isn't the goose expensive? Well, you, you'd get it and you'd tie something around its neck and you'd force it to fly up the chimney. It wouldn't want to fly up the chimney, so it'd flap all its wings. And when it does that, um, it would clear the soot in the chimney. But that, what would happen to the goose? I mean, this is so cruel. This is horrible. I don't even know why I said it. What else have I got from England? Ah, oh, yes. Sausages. Sausages. <laughs> Victorians called sausages little bags of mystery. Why is that, I wonder? Well, I think they are still little bags of mystery today. You know, what do they put in sausages? Back in Victorian day, pretty much anything. I mean, horse meat, whatever. Uh, you know, many butchers apparently were inspected regularly and taken to court. And we all know the story of Sweeney Todd. He put people in his pies and sausages. So, yeah, sausages. Mm, little bags of mystery. What fun. What else about England? Little tiny tidbits. Ah. In the early 1800s, the name Mary was hugely popular. Well, that's exciting, not. But, in fact, nearly half the women in the UK were called Mary. Boy, that would be confusing, wouldn't it? Hmm. I'm still stuck on the sausages, actually, never mind about Mary. Um... Somebody wrote in, you know, a long time ago and said, why are English sausages called bangers? You know, well, because they used to bang. And when I say the sausages used to bang, I don't mean they used to copulate. It was when you cooked them, they would go bang. Because during the war, there was severe rationing, the Second World War. And they filled it with, uh, well, let's just call it um, little bags of mystery meat, where they'd also put breadcrumbs and other non-meat things in them. So when you fried them in the pan, they'd blow up. And that's why they're bangers. So there we are. Uh, what else? We've got a little tidbit uh, from England. Yes, meat pie, since we're on mystery meats. The most expensive slice of meat pie was sold in the UK for over £1,700 a slice. <clears throat> that's interesting. Apparently, once upon a time... In the county of Lancashire, they created a shepherd's pie worth over £1,700 a slice. Why was it worth that much for a slice? What could you possibly put into a pie? Well, they put Japanese Wagyu beef filet, priceless Chinese Matsutake mushrooms, winter black truffles, French bluefoot mushrooms, gravy made from two bottles of vintage 82 Chateau Mouton Rothschild wine. Which idiot put Chateau Mouton Rothschild 82 in a shepherd's pie? What a waste of wine. Then they garnished it with edible gold leaf and put it in the Guinness World Records for the most expensive shepherd's pie ever. 
what stupidity, really. Um, but whatever, they got into the Guinness World of Records as the most expensive shepherd's pie ever. Now, here's a little something my American friends ask me, Arnie, that's me, what's the difference between a shepherd's pie and a cottage pie? I will tell you. A shepherd's pie is made from lamb, and a cottage pie is made from beef. Otherwise, they're pretty much the same thing. And they're not really pies, by the way, either. You put mashed potato on the top, put it back in the oven, and it gets all nice and crispy. Then you take it out, let it sit for about a minute, and then you pour beautiful gravy on it. Mmm, lovely dish for a crisp autumn evening. I think I might make one today. All right, what else do we have for today's show? Oh my gosh, my darlings, I think we're getting close to the end. Just a reminder that you should visit my website on a regular basis. I do, otherwise I wouldn't know what I'm up to. At the end of each month, on a Saturday evening, we have Cosmic Conversations, various different subjects. This month is, oh gosh, what is it, Ani? Yes, it's Wonderful Witchcraft and Amazing Spellcraft. So we're going to do that on October the 30th, talk about all things Halloween, talk about witchery and all of that. In November, we are going to talk about interdimensional portals and what goes on in inner earth and what Admiral Byrd was up to, all of that good stuff. And in December, we are going to trace the origins of the stories of mad mythical creatures. In addition to that, there's lots of other classes that you can take as individuals or with your peer group and whatever. There's just tons of stuff on there. Go figure it out. Well, my darlings, gosh, let me take a sip of this delightful beverage and say to you all, I love you, my cream puffs, but I think that's it for today. I've now finished my drink and that means the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed listening in as much as I enjoyed recording it because I had a blast and it is my pleasure to connect with you all and hear your stories. Today's real-life cocktail was a shot of Crater Lake Hatch Chili Pepper Vodka made right here in Oregon with New Mexico chili peppers and chased down with a nice cold glass of pub beer made by Ten Barrels Brewing also here in Oregon. And if you're used to drinking, say, Absolute Pepper Vodka or some other macro brand of hot pepper vodka, this one is a little different. The heat creeps up on you differently. I might try chasing it down with tomato juice next time or perhaps even a tomato beer. Now, remember, folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. I'm Ani, Mad Shaman Abedician. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, stand strong, resist tyranny, drink lots of birony, and let the spirit inhabit the human. <laughs> have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini with Ani Alpatisian, The Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com.